And I think one of the fallouts of this whole thing are going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of people not have jobs in the next three to four years because people are looking at how do I automate this? How do I use technology? Because technology doesn't get COVID. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. All right, good afternoon and welcome back to the Access Points podcast. Davin Marceau, Chief Operating Officer with Access eForms, here today again and usually as always with our owner and CEO, Tim Elliott. How are you doing, Tim? Hello, sir. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you again and uh, happy Olympic season. Happy Olympic season. I'll just say this. Our beloved local team, the Texas Rangers, completely sucked this year. Like, I think they've lost almost 14 games in a row, so it's not worth watching. You know, there's no other sports on, really, in the South that we really enjoy. So the Olympics are predominantly what is on at night, and it's kind of fun. I forgot how much I enjoy it. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a rough go being a, a Dallas sports fan these days. Yeah, we're hoping that this fall plays out a little bit better than last year, but not like you care. <laughs> no. And as a disclaimer for our audience, I am a dyed-in-the-wool Cowboys hater. So I cannot, will not, shall not issue any goodwill or good luck to the Dallas Cowboys for the, for the upcoming that, season. Doesn't that say a lot about your heart when it's more about what you're against more than what you're for? You know, Isn't there some psychological issue that you have that maybe brings that out in a football? That's example? a definitive maybe. And be that as it may. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan and all I know is heartache and all I know is strife. And as that old, what axiom says, a misery loves company, Tim. I think, um, and the old, uh, hurting people hurt people. Yeah. Hurt people, play there too. <laughs> hurt people, hurt people, hurting and, people, hurt people. And, and there is a Falcons fan of, we've had about eh, three to five seasons that have been worth noting and the rest. And obviously we don't need to talk about 28 to three. We can just move on from that. There's not a whole lot to talk about. So again, misery loves company. I am not going to let you swing your poor talon at me. <laughs> Just because you're hurting. But back to the Olympics. You're right. It really is such a unique kind of special time for the entire country. And to say that we're not divided as a nation, we'd be disingenuous, right? Everything is so hyper politicized and you're either on the left or on the right. But I, I think the Olympics is that one time that we get every couple of years, you know, between the summer and the winter Olympics where we can all kind of, you know, set our political differences aside and cheer for a collective group of individuals that represent our country. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so it's it's kind of cool, but yeah, you talk about a weird Olympics because it always happens to so much fanfare, and you know there's so much pageantry that goes on. You know, look at the the opening ceremonies, and then here comes this dang Delta variant of COVID, and then all of a sudden, days before they clamp Tokyo back down, and then it's just empty stadium. And you look at the swimming, you look at the track and field stadium, and it's just straight up empty. Yeah, you know it, it's fun they got to compete, but it's also kind of sad, especially when someone wins a medal and they break away to a camera in their parents' home in Hoboken, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, they've been working their whole life for this and their parents are watching on TV. It's super sad. It's like and, this and, awkward three second delay. Yeah. And, and poor Tokyo. I mean, take tell me how much money those guys are going to lose over this thing. I'm sure you had to refund tickets and I'm sure that doesn't, you know, come anywhere near paying for what the Olympics cost. But yeah, you know, I think we were watching, I think it was uh, men's volleyball. And they built a stadium just for volleyball. It's an indoor, and you, you wonder how much that thing cost. And they said it was the premier volleyball arena in the world. And there's nobody in there. I'm like, how sad is that? And, and I wonder how many of those stadiums are going to actually be used 
once the Olympics are over. I think Jamie and I were talking about, what was it? Uh, Russia had the Winter Olympics. They created that whole town for the Winter Olympics. And now they said it's like a ghost town. It was supposed to be some, you know, they were going to have carnival stuff and kind of a destination. They say it's like a ghost town now. Yeah. It's just sad. And this is not what this topic is going to be about, but I think there was a 30 for 30 that they did. And, you know, talking about places like Rio, and I think Sochi is, is the I think you're right. that Winter Olympics place that you're talking about. But how much of that, investment, you know, that capital investment into this infrastructure. And it just over the course of 10 years, just deteriorates and it's gone. And I wonder how many years is going to take for people to stop fighting for the Olympics. It's such a fight to try to get the Olympics to your country. And, you know, I wonder how long it's going to be before people go, man, it's not, it's not really worth it. What are we getting for this? Right. And, but a bad name in some cases. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard enough with the economic pressures that we have you know, in today's world. And then you start adding in things like pandemics. And it changes it completely, right? Like I, I wouldn't want to foot the bill for it. No, 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 no. And you know, and you know, we've talked about this, and I think we're going to talk about some today. But you can't forecast a pandemic coming, and so I just feel for them. You think about all the work and effort that went into that, and and you know, just all the way down to the project managers who are responsible for construction for these things, and you know, they had timelines, and and it was uh, you know, pride for country and getting this done in time, and and it, they get it all pulled off, and then you know a week or two before this thing, they say, hey, nobody can enjoy these. The athletes will be there, but that's it. Man, that's just sad. Yeah, it's sad all the way around. And you think about the downstream economic impact to people like contractors and subcontractors that are building this thing, because, you know, imagine, you know, a lot of this stuff literally gets built or finished at the 11th hour. Sure. And if Tokyo, you know, is a country or the IOC or whoever's footing the bill, that you're going to not have all this revenue coming in. Do you think they're paying 100% of those invoices to those contractors or subcontractors? I don't know. I, I'd sure hope so. But usually not, right? That's normally yeah. what happens in that type of, of economic situation. So you think of the downstream ripple effect from macro to micro economic impact, and it's it's pretty profound stuff. Yeah, it really is. It's sad. And, you, you know, I don't know the answer. Sure. And again, a good segue into the topic we're going to discuss today, because is the Tokyo Olympics a little bit of foreshadowing for what's coming back around with the Delta variant of COVID? Maybe. Maybe. And, and I think that might be the biggest difference between the first wave of the pandemic and this potential impending wave of the pandemic is, and you and I both read The Premonition and, and for our listeners, if, if you haven't listened to it or read it, fantastic book. And I can't remember who, Michael, yeah, I can't remember the yes. name. The name. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but super cool. Again, another, yeah. another quick aside to this, but what we want to talk about today is if let's assume that there's a little bit of foreshadowing at the Tokyo Olympics and this Delta variant is going to continue to creep its way across countries and oceans and borders and start to have a, a heavy economic impact globally. And so what did we learn as an organization? What was good? What was bad that we would give as advice to either new business owners or to maybe people that, that struggled their way through the first wave of the pandemic. So yeah, that's it. It's weird. It, it doesn't feel like, to me, it doesn't feel the same as it did the first time. Agreed. And I think number one, and we're going to talk about that today, is I think we're smarter. I think we're smarter as people individually. I think we know more about it. We're in Texas, and so we're going to maybe see this, or at least I'll see this differently than some of our listeners are hearing this, may think about it, and that's okay. Listen, we all have our opinion, right? Sure. But I, I think that we all come into this thing with a little bit more education with a little bit more experience than we did the first time. You know, it's a different variant, but the reality is the same thing. There's those that are vaccinated, those that aren't, those that, you know, are willing to get vaccinated, those that aren't. And it's going to be framed a little bit differently from a federal government level. Um, and on our state, it's going to be framed even differently. And then 
you know, each business will frame it the way they see it too. So, you know, to me, it's, it's so much about, you know, we talk about in this podcast all the time about your mindset. So I think there's a, a difference here between your a mindset and what people are telling you the science is and trying to merge those two together. Where do they intersect and trying to figure out what is the truth for you individually and what is the truth for you as an organization? And then once you figure that out, how do you handle it? Which kind of comes to what we're going to talk about today is, you know, what we learned about the first one that this second round, you know, is coming or has come and how do we deal with that? And what would we do different? Would we do the same? What have we learned from it? So, you know, to me, it's, it's where does that merge between our mindset and the science happen and how do we react to that? Yeah, I really like that. I wrote that down, the intersection of science and mindset. And it's so difficult to make it apolitical, you know, and I think maybe even more so now than before it is, you know, you're either on the one side or the other with this thing and mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of in between and, and it kind of frames everybody's thinking about its political impacts, its economical impacts, its social impacts, on and on and on. And so it's a unique position to try to be in to merge your mindset about really struggle and strife and you just toss the pandemic bucket into that bucket of struggle and strife. Right. And then where it meets up with your mindset and to try and keep it apolitical as possible, to try to get some level of objective empirical evidence about what this thing really is and the impact of it without the dang political spin on it. And if you think about it, we have situations and call it strife, call it anything. You know, the first thing we do is we look at things selfishly as individuals. How does this affect me? How am I going to react to this? And then, you know, as business owners, entrepreneur, look at, you know, this is not just my livelihood, but the livelihood of a lot of people that work for this company is how do we react to this? And, you know, there's what people say science is and what people's opinions are and, do you jump in line with that and shut everything down or whatever they say you're supposed to do? Or do you bucket and say, Hey, listen, we've got a business to run and we've got it. You know, we've got families to support. And it, I got to tell you as an entrepreneur, it's tough. I remember we had this discussion early mm -hmm. on at the first and you and I were kind of on different sides of this thing. We were. I turned out to be right. Oh, uh, right's a fickle word. <laughs> Probably from where I stand, it was the perfect, it was the perfect stance. But you know, I think there's going to be some of the same issues happen. Um, I think there's going to be some of the same decisions that have to be made. I don't think to the extreme we did the first, I think we know so much more now. I think we know what could happen. And before, I don't think we knew the extreme or the extent of what is possible. Now that we've seen that, and I think we look at with the Delta variant, here's what we're looking at, but probably not quite the extreme of what it was the first round. And we know what to deal with. And I think we know what can happen. The good, the bad, both physically, economically, you know, we had, and there were so many crazy things that went on. You talking about the riots. I mean, just, boy, you're talking about the stars aligning. It was a mess. But, you know, we, we had to go through that. And we had to go through that as a business and figure out how we're going to react to it. And we're going to do the same now. Well, and I think looking back to the first wave of the pandemic, the most dangerous part and the hardest part to overcome, I think, was, was the void, was the unknown. We didn't know death rates. I mean, if you looked at the data, the science, right, and I'll put science in, in air quotes, you know, you had some death rates were up to 15%. And then you had some that were, you know, that it was lower than the common cold. And so it was, it was hard to, as a, as a person, as a parent, you know, as a significant other, as a, as a business leader to know like how well you can prepare for this thing. And, 
you know, obviously the death toll and, you know, some of that stuff didn't really bear itself out. And it's easy to say that at a macro level, but you pare it down to the, you know, an individual family level who lost a loved one, you know, it was a pretty significant sure, event, right? Sure. But as you pare it back out, it, it didn't end up having, you know, the catastrophic impact at a medical level that it ended up having at the economic level as a result of us not knowing and planning, trying to plan for, for the void. And I think that's one of the, really the biggest differences now is sure things are going to vary from variant to variant, but I think we have close to, you know, a year and a half, two years coming on two years of empirical evidence to support what the death rate is. Right. And we can plan for that. We can plan to that. We can plan against that because it's something that's known. Right. So I think one of the biggest differences again is, as husbands, fathers, you know, business leaders, whatever, is we have something to work with. We have something to work against rather than before it was doom and gloom. Well, let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, it was the, we're dealing with a different situation than we were the first time, because you think about the biggest fear we have as individuals, as business owners, as leaders is fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. right? If we have all the evidence in front of us, we can make a, what we feel like is a logical decision based on our situation, where we are, what direction we should take and what we should do. Right. And we, you know, we do that with decisions all the time today. You know, we put things up on the whiteboard. Here's, here's what we know. And based on what we know, what's the best decision. But when you don't know, when you're looking at a blank board, that's scary because mm -hmm. you know, you've got one set of people are telling you one thing. You got another set of people telling you something different and you have no idea which one's right. Or is it even in the center somewhere? Is it in the middle between these two, the real truth? And, you know, especially at the first round, we didn't really know what the truth was. Mm -hmm. We didn't, you know, we were told one thing from one group and another. And, and what's funny is, is what we we're being told at the beginning almost switched. So one side was saying one thing and one side was saying the other. And about six months, eight months into it, they kind of switched sides. You're like, holy cow. It's just crazy. You know, what, are we following science? Are we following logic? Are we following uh, politics? We don't know. And that's what's so difficult is you're probably trying to make decisions on something that is unknown. And, and you know, we, we've talked about, you know, how do we react the first time to this thing? And how do we deal with that unknown? And, you know, what our decision was is, is you know, we, we didn't really pull back, but, you know, we, we changed what we focused on. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, what we did was we're in the healthcare IT business and our customers pretty much quit taking phone calls. And when you did get a hold of them, they were really pissed that you called them because they're in the middle mm -hmm. of a lockdown of, you know, their hospitals are full of COVID patients. And why are you trying to sell me something? So, you know, we, we really pull back and, and spend our time and efforts and money on really making our product better, really trying to increase the feature set, come up with new solutions based on what's needed in the marketplace and really trying to make a real, more robust product, which we did. And, you know, we really focused in from a marketing standpoint in a different direction. How do we add value? If you've listened to the podcast, you know exactly what we're saying. So, you know, the first time that's what we did. And once things began to settle out, it really paid off. And we're still seeing benefits and the positive ramifications of those things today because of that. So with that being said, you know, here we go with a, a second round or third round, whatever you want to call it. But this one feels different. Well, and I think it gives us the ability to make incremental changes. And when you look at something that, that I think we did pretty well is we didn't make wholesale changes because we didn't have to make wholesale changes. Right. And we're by and large a virtual organization anyway, with, you know, 85 plus percent of our workforce is remote. And so we had that IT infrastructure in place. We, we had you know, the ability for our employees to, to work remote really unchanged, right? It was really right. me and you and a couple right. other people in the office and then the folks out in Sulphur that had to push remote. 
But what you saw in the world at large is wholesale paradigm shifts, right? Shutdowns of, of factories, of you know anything that really caused this massive supply shock to the economy that we're frankly, we're dealing with today, right? right. And I think one of the big takeaways from it is, is a business owner, and I think as a person as well, is we don't have to make those wholesale knee jerk changes in our personal life or our professional life. Like we can make those incremental changes and continue to project and see see this pandemic, if it's continuing to come forward at us and it's continuing to become more prevalent in society, we can make those incremental changes, right? We don't right. have to shut down a factory. If, if you, uh, as a listener, make widgets, you probably don't have to shut down your factory for 12 weeks this time. You just may need to cut down production by 75% and, you know, to be able to spread people out. Or, and, and again, I'm not stepping into your world. You guys know what I'm talking about, but it's about the ability to project out against the known and make small changes. Right. And those small changes, as we saw as an organization in terms of product, in terms of people, in terms of processes, can be widely impactful. Right. You know, as you were saying that, I'm thinking about, you know, what businesses do I remember really didn't shut down and how are they doing now? And the first one that comes to my mind is construction. You know, construction really never stopped, which is really an interesting thing to me. I'm not sure why they weren't required to shut down with everybody else. But anyway, needless to say, they didn't. And I think we can all look around and see that, you know, that hadn't slowed down. In fact, if anything, construction has picked up. So they never really stopped. So if, if you're in the construction business, you know, I'd love to know, you know, financially, did it heavily impact you in a negative aspect or was it a, almost a positive? I've talked to a lot of people during the pandemic that had some of their best years in 2020. And, you know, even today, if you've seen the stories on, on lumber, you know, lumber's outrageously expensive and those distributors are making a killing right now. And the people that actually harvest the lumber there, they didn't do so well. So it, it just, man, it, what a bizarre situation. And I think that now that we know what took place the first time, I think we're going to be a little bit more, I guess we're going to look at a little bit closer. And I think we're going to be a little bit slower to react. I think this time we're going to, we're going to stop, look at it and say, okay, we see people saying this, but what's really happening? I think we're going to look for evidence this time. I think the first time we were so scared that we weren't looking for evidence, we were looking for answers. And now that we kind of know what some of the answers are, I think we're going to look for evidence more this time. So my thought is, you know, I'm not saying we're going to do business as usual, but at the same time, we can't stop. You know, we stopped the first time. And as long as our customers aren't stopping, we're not stopping. We're not going to slow down if they're not going to slow down. Every industry is going to be different. You know, if, if you're in the, in the restaurant business, boy, these CDC recommendations could determine really your existence six months from now or not, which to me is really sad And that, you know, you have someone else determining what you, you can be open or not. And that's, we've been really blessed in that, you know, nobody said you have to shut your business down. You know, being the restaurant business, I would think that'd be really, really tough. If I was in the business where, you know, it was a lot of face-to-face -face people business and between fear or CDC guidelines or whatever, you know, your state, from state to state, it could change. You know, we're blessed to live in a state where it's kind of a right to work and is your right to make your own decisions. But, you know, there's other states and people listening here that probably don't have that. And it's more locked down and more, this is what you have to do and what you don't, you, know, you can't do. And I haven't lived there, so I don't know. But I would think that'd be really difficult not to be able to make your own decision. Well, and, and I think it's important to really identify your customer, right? And I think what we maybe failed to account for as a society in the first wave is, what was going to be the downstream impact of your customer in your market, right? And I don't think we accounted for that really well. 
you know, and when you go back, you know, you talk about the construction world now, you know, I know a lot of them had a banner year in 20, but 21 is a different story for them because their cost of goods sold, oh, yeah. because their lumber, because their material has, is so dramatically increased because production on everything was shut down for six weeks to six months, depending on your industry. Now, those, those contractors, you're not seeing homes being built like they were last year. You're seeing a, a bit of a slowdown in that just because, you know, again, the home buyer doesn't want to pay $350 a square foot, you know, to build, to build a home right now. And I, we'll see that thing balance out, but bringing that all the way back around, I think it's important for you as an owner or as an entrepreneur, as an operator to really truly understand now who your customer is and what this second round of COVID may do to them. So then you can, you can adjust your offering. You can adjust the way that you deliver it. If you, if you make a commodity, you, you know, you, you can adjust the way that you produce or how you produce or where you produce or when you produce to be able to offset some of that instead of just being wholesale shut down. Yeah. And, and I think that everyone is going to be a little smarter this time. You know, I love stories. So I was talking to a really good friend of mine when COVID hit and, you know, all that happened in his company that he works for thousands and thousands of employees and they're all over the nation. But then when COVID hit and all the things started shutting down, he got really nervous. And what was strange was that all of their customers started saying, you know, we're going to hold off on paying you. And they were concerned because their customers were saying, we're going to hold off on paying for you. And the funny thing is everybody still had money, but they weren't letting it go. And, and it comes back to fear. Right. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, probably about three to four months, every one of those companies that were along in this chain, right. were scared to death. Am I going to be in business? Am I going to, but they were all holding money from each other, which is really interesting. And once the first one let go and said, oh, we're going to be good. The second one did, the third one did, the fourth one did all the way up the chain and everybody turned out fine. And so I think this time people are going to be a little bit more cautious to just stop payments. I think people are going to see this differently. And I think that they're going to continue to spend, you know, in a, in a conservative mode, but still spend. I think they're still going to expand, probably not expand as risky, but um, they're going to expand. So I, you know, I, I don't see this one being the same as the first one. And I, I know that as you're listening today, you're making a decision for yourself and for your organization when these things happen. And uh, how do I handle things from a business leader, but also how do, how do I handle things in my household? Whether you're a male or female or whatever it is in your house and you're trying to deal with this and, it, or, you know, there may be two income houses and maybe one income house. And, you know, it really affects you because you've got bills. And so this whole thing we have going on in our financial society is, is that that money has to move. And when that money stops moving, things get rough. And I think this time money will continue to move. Probably not at a hundred percent pace that it has in the last four or five months, but I think it's still going to move probably at least 90, 92, 95% rate. Yes. The velocity of money. Yeah. Right? Our, our economy is largely dependent on the velocity of money. That's a fancy word for it. Yeah. That's yeah, an MBA term. Then yeah. hashtag humble brag. Not a big deal. <laughs> Um, but, but it really is important. And, and we saw that you can tie that back to stuff like, oh, wait, when, when lending stops happening, when money stops exchanging hands, the economy ceases to, to, to move right. forward. Right. Right. And then we saw that a little bit in the pandemic. And again, it was much more supply shock. Like we just stopped making things for a while yeah. and there was a, a very acute economic impact then. And we're seeing it spread to a much more macroeconomic impact now 
in terms of the fact that we people can't buy cars because you can't get chips. Well, think about that. I mean, right. I, I was going to bring that up earlier. The the factory shut down wherever, I think it was in China, wherever those chips were being made, both for COVID and then for, I guess, the Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. And so think about from just chips, just little bitty computer chips, how many businesses have suffered because that didn't mm-hmm. happen? How many people's livelihoods? We have a, a, a friend of ours that uh, lives in our town that has a Chevrolet dealership. And I was driving down 635 of the day and looked over and there's like five cars sitting in the lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, good gosh, you know, if, if I was a salesperson there, what would I do? If I was a sales manager, if I was the owner, I mean, that's, that's a lot of revenue that just is not coming in. What do you do? And it, it all happened because of computer chips coming from China. Yeah. Just a tiny component of a car. And, and you know, I read a story about they've got them lined up in Texas motor speedway and they've got them lined up in all these places the, the vehicles themselves are built. It's just missing one cost of goods sold. Yeah. It's missing one minute component, but that makes the whole entire thing go. Right. And, and again, that was what was so unique about this type of economic impact is it didn't happen as a result of demand. The demand was still there. Like as, as, a, as a country, as an economy, we still needed things. Right. We stopped producing things. Right. And now we're seeing, again, it's, it's a shortage across the board. And I think Intel was saying, it's going to be uh, two to three years yeah. before they're, before they're back to capacity. Yeah. And now if I was them, I, I might, you know, keep that production down 20% because those prices are going to offset it. And, and you know, it's, it's price versus value, baby. It, it is. But then, <laughs> but then you also say, boy, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs going to say, Hey, there's a market, that boy. Oppor- there's a market opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately I think one of the, the groups of people that are going to be hurt most by this whole COVID thing are the people that, work with their hands, work in factories that produce things. Because I think that business owners are going to look at this and say, I can't deal with not having people here. So I'm going to have to come up with ways to still manufacture without people. Because there's something in the back of their mind that always say, what if this happens again? What if we have another pandemic? And so I think they're, they're going to look at automation. And I think one of the fallouts of this whole thing are going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of people not have jobs in the next three to four years because people are looking at how do I automate this? How do I use technology? Because technology doesn't get COVID. And if, if I'm a chip maker, how do I make computer chips that don't need people? I would do that. I mean, we're, we're seeing that. I know right now in the, in the, in the restaurant business, the fast food industry, you know, they're saying, man, I can't find workers. And, you know, they're talking about raising the minimum wage where I can't afford to offer people this food at this price anymore. I've got to automate some of these things. And, you know, the fallout is going to be, there's going to be people that don't have jobs. Well, and, and that's the, the crux of the blue collar worker, right? Is, is we're always trying to replace manual labor via processes or automation or something, right? That's one of the things we do as, as business leaders and owners is to reduce overhead as we try to replace a person with a process or a person with a machine that, that doesn't catch COVID. So then you've got this whole group of society that now we, we're like, okay, well, go back to school and, and learn some sort of trade or something. And now they can't go back to school because of COVID or, right. you know, and then, so what ends up happening is now as an, as an economy, the government has to step in and give these, these stimulus payments. Right. And they're almost incentivizing workers not to go back. And, and right. that's a big part of why we're seeing such a big labor shortage. And again, making this apolitical, it's just, it, it is what it's, it is. It's facts. It, right. it, it's a fact, right? And so now, you know, as a homeowner, try to get somebody to come fix your dishwasher, try to get somebody to come fix or replace or repair something. It's yeah. it's very hard to do. And and I think the standard of quality has gone down too, because, you know, for so long, and, and again, I'm not even going to say that 
it wasn't needed, right? There was a whole lot of people in this world that needed those payments in order to be able to bridge the gap between pandemic to the end of it. But there was a lot of unintended consequences. And we had a lot of people that just left the workforce by choice because it was more financially beneficial for them to stop driving an Uber and start collecting unemployment plus the kicker on top of it. Right. You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, first, the first place my, my mind goes to is, man, what is a service industry that I could get into where I could utilize the skills of those people to make something awesome? What is it that I can create that machines can't do? What is it that can't be automated that people need? And, you know, I've, I've actually, when I share those on this podcast, but I've been thinking about that for two months is, you know, what could I offer? What is it that people need that require people to do a skill that you could scale this thing? So anyway, as an entrepreneur, that's the way I, that's the way I think about things. And I think there'll be other people to think about that too. I know that we've have, we have friends in the services business and you came from that mm-hmm. and, and just think about, you know, how much everybody we know their business is just blown up between the freeze we had in Texas and people are at home more and they're thinking about redoing their house or they need something done. They're finally figuring out that, you know, I need to finally fix this piece of plumbing or this HVAC unit or whatever. And it's blowing up. I mean, those guys are going crazy, but it takes skilled workers to do that. Well, and thankfully it was in a sector where, you know, it wasn't wholesale shutdown and in the services side, especially in the home services world, air conditioners still broke and water heaters still went out and the best of situations. Then you throw, you know, snowpocalypse that we had in January, February, whenever that was on top of it. And and the need never went away. Again, the demand never went away, but now again, be a pool owner. And on top of this freeze and on top of the fact that we stopped producing things as a country for a while, now try to get a replacement pool pump. Yes, sir. Good luck, buddy. Pool heater. Yeah. Hello. Anything like that. It's just, it's hard to get. So hopefully, you know, bringing this kind of all back around to where, where we wanted to go with the topic is, is, is hopefully we learn as businesses and as a society to make incremental changes, right? Yeah. We don't have the void to deal with. So try to keep the desired end state in mind. Like you still know that at the end of this thing, we have to be a functional society, a functional business, a functional family unit. And make those small incremental changes that support the desired end goal instead of just trying to keep not dying the next day at the forefront of your mind. And I think that's really the biggest difference between the first wave and the second wave is we, we know, we right? know we're, we're, we're we not going to worry about like, if I look at you wrong, am I going to catch your COVID and am I going to die the next day? Right. Like we know that data doesn't bear that out. So we can stay focused on the long game, focused on production of things, focused on taking care of our people, focused on taking care of our families and driving towards that, that happy end state. And, I, and one of my recommendations to you too is, is use your head, use logic, you know, use what you've learned to make decisions about what's best for you and your family and your business. I'm not saying disobey the laws uh, or the recommendations, take those into account. And by no means I'm not saying you need to break a law or do something illegal or whatever the case is. But at the same time, use your head and decide what's best for you and your family and know that, you know, those people making decisions Sometimes they know more than you do. Sometimes they don't. So at the end of the day, you're responsible for yourself. I know this as a pilot, you know, we're taught early on that if you're at the controls and you're the pilot in command, you know, at the end of the day, you're responsible for that airplane. And, you know, if, if someone puts fuel in that airplane, it's got water in the fuel and you didn't check it, it's not on them. It's on you. If, you know, it came out and mechanic didn't do something right and you didn't check it and you went out and flew and you crashed the plane, it's on you. And it's really the same thing with your family and, and your business. It's, you've got to make the decision for you and you're responsible for the people that you live with and you're responsible for the people that you work with or people work for you. And so 
use your head and, um, and, and make the best decision for you. We used to say on the battlefield, Tim, that, you know, a, a decent decision now is better than the perfect decision 10 minutes too late. Yeah, that's right. You know, so be the leader, you know, yeah. take care of your people. The, the tenets of leadership and running a business don't really change. It's just, you have to be able to, to fight through the fog and fight through the haze and fight through the noise that we see on social media or the regular media and be able to make those decisions that are, they're going to ultimately lead your family and your business to success. Exactly. Because, you know, whatever they say, you know, tomorrow they wake up and have a job. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to make a decision for you because they don't know your situation. So you're the only one that knows your situation. And I, we have we have a gentleman down in, on level C in, in our building and he does shoes. He fixes shoes. And I remember I got a, a text from him. I think you did too. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, man, you know, things have been tough. And if you have any shoes at home that really need some work, I, I could use the work. And my, my first text back to him was, man, good for you. Good for you for getting after it and texting me. Thank you for texting me. I'll bring some shoes in. I actually have some that need help. And, you know, that what I love about that is the guy didn't just quit. He didn't say nobody's working here. And he's like, I'm going to make something happen. And I love that. And, I, you know, I tipped him well and took care of him just because I, I know that he's working and he's thinking outside the box. And I was saying, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to make this work. I love that. I'm bringing my five pairs of shoes tomorrow. Awesome. Mark, yeah, Mark's his name, bringing him five pairs of shoes. Yeah, tomorrow. he's a good dude too. Yeah, as, as good as they come. And look, we know, you know, there's a lot of business leaders and, and operators listening to this podcast. And we want to know what have you guys learned and what are you guys thinking? And what are you guys feeling about this this impending uh, wave of, of the Delta variant and how are you guys approaching it? And, you know, leave us, leave us a comment, reach out on social media and, and get to connect with Tim or I and, uh, and give us your feedback on this thing. Because again, we'd like to learn from you guys too. You know, a lot of you guys did, did stuff that were great and pivoted your offering and, and really were remarkably successful in the face of this pandemic. So, you know, help us out too. Like we try to help you guys out. Yeah, it'd be great. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, for our listeners, you know, go check out our website at accessefm.com. Check out the offerings that we had pre and post COVID and how we continue to grow as an organization. And uh, Tim, appreciate your time, buddy. Right, thank you. To the next time. All right. Thanks. Bye.